Hi, this is Adam from Chef Life Radio. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine who's doing some great work. Have you done all the hard work of writing a book, but you can't get it in enough readers' hands? If so, check out my podcast, The Reluctant Book Marketer, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check out his podcast, won't you? The links are in the show notes. You know, we're super blessed. Our restaurant can meet people from all over the world and chat with them every day. And I tell them the story of when we op- the day we opened, we had $7 left. And I don't mean that I'd have to dip into my 401k. It was seven fucking dollars. And I see as we're aging, a lot of us turning to meditation, prayer, getting rid of our bad habits, all those things that come from business. And in that, there's a lot of space to learn one of those three R's, reinvent. You know, look, this was such a tough year. It's just fucking hard, man. Really hard. And scary. Something new is coming, I think, for most of the people in the world. That's Deidre McGinnis-Sioko, restaurateur, professed taco maker, and dear friend. And on this episode of Chef Life Radio, she's going to talk about her journey from the Beantown, Boston, all the way to Costa Rica. And on the beach... She burned her boats. She's been living by the three R's ever since then. And you're going to find out what the other two are after the break and how you can put all three of them to use to create a life worth living. With one caveat, be careful what you wish for. This is Chef Life Radio, serving chefs just like you who want to enjoy their careers without sacrificing their lives. I'm your host, Adam Lamb, and over my 30-year career as a chef and hospitality professional, I've coached and mentored thousands of culinarians who've led lives of contribution, community, and authentic leadership. Let me be your guide on this journey together, looking for solutions and perspectives to some of the biggest issues impacting the hospitality industry, our lives, and our careers today. We Chef! And now, back to the show. I'd like to welcome to the show... Very, very dear friend, Deidre McGinnis-Sioko. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mr. Lamb. Listeners are probably really interested why a gal from Boston, born and bred in Beantown, ends up in the Caribbean. Oh, so I am a taco maker in the Caribbean now. (laughs) I ended up here because I took a chance on doing a consulting job in Santa Domingo to revamp the liquor end of a casino. So that meant the bar, the liquor on the floor, the events. They had a lot of big events. They had a theater. I said I would do it for six months. It was something different. I didn't even know where the Dominican Republic was. And um, I stayed nine years there and became the director of operations for the entire casino. Because you knew where all the bodies were buried. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how I ended up in the DR. And then my son was born, and my husband and I, your good friend Mark, we moved back to Florida, and he pursued his career in this lovely business, and I became a stay-at-home mom. And before he passed away, he made me promise him that I would not run back to the Dominican Republic. (laughs) (laughs) Which at first first you did your best to... 
Like I did honor I that. For, yeah, I waited five years and um, kept coming here on vacation. Finally, said, "Okay, how can I stay here?" And I had developed this awesome fish taco that came out of some weird dream, and I said, "Okay." going to move to the DR and sell fish tacos in this little town of Cabaret Bay, which is a surf and kite um, hub. And yeah, so with my partner, Joe, we did that and started Gordito's Fresh Max restaurant. And we are 10 years old now. Now, um, I seem to remember that time uh, when you finally made a decision to do that. And if I remember correctly... At that point, you know, you were all in because there was no plan B. No plan B. And I tell people that story. You know, we're super blessed. Our restaurant can meet people from all over the world and chat with them every day. And I tell them the story of when we opened, the day we opened, we had $7 left. And I don't mean that I'd have to dip into my 401k. It was seven fucking dollars. <laughs> And no plan B. Right. And no plan B. And as the Dominicans say, gracias a Dios. Um, we made it. Uh, thanks to God and also to ourselves. We worked super hard. Yeah. Super, super hard. And we built something really cool. And we have now franchised. We have one franchise store open and two um, in the pipeline. That is where the money's at, baby, right then and there. Let's hope now, so. <laughs> well, and so, you know, I was so excited to to think about what we would talk about. And, of course, there's all kinds of things that are bubbling up. But one of the things that struck me earlier was um, this idea about resilience, especially having come through, you know, our plague year here in the United States and curious to know how that played out in your neck of the woods. I mean, you basically got there and you burnt the boat, right? I mean, resiliency is one of my favorite words, and I don't often have nice things to say about myself, but I can I know it is a shame. It is it's a shame. A, it's a byproduct. I'm getting there, though. I'm getting I'm growing there. up in Boston for <laughs> Irish, Italian, Catholic. You know how right that is. There you go. But I will say that I'm super resilient, and um, I've had several acts, and I'm not afraid now of doing anything anymore because i did this and so um speaking of the pandemic as that rolled around i know there was a lot of fear um around that for business owners especially restaurant owners around mm. the world yeah and i literally didn't have any fear i just you- figured we're gonna make it it's gonna be fine we but, had but to you- close Okay. Five months. And that was tough. The laws here in the Dominican Republic for the curfews and what were very strict, and you don't mess around you. You would right. have tell. So, uh, yeah, we shut down March 17th. And I thought at that time, oh, it's just going to be a couple of weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> right. It's all going to blow <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And as the, you know, weeks crept on, we had to make some big decisions. So we liquidated uh, all our employees 
which in this country, um, they have a very great rule that when you fire someone, you have to pay them separate based on um, the amount of time they've been. So that cost us a lot of money, but we liquidated everyone so that they would have money. Uh, we shut down the business. We bought out our little partner and we reopened another corporation. And while I was in the lawyer's office at the very beginning, I took my son Joey with me, who is 21, because the lawyer is very much a misogynist. And I've learned over the years not to deal with that. I just know that he's not listening to me, even though I'm the brains. Got it. So I always bring a man with me and my partner wasn't here. So I brought my son and, you know, it's a very, you know, beautiful lawyer's office, you know, all the bells and whistles. So we leave and my son says, I had a little epiphany when we were in there. It's three, the three R's. And this is the true story. It just keeps ringing in my head. Reduce, reinvent, and relax. Mm. See, now that's fascinating because my experience of the plague year was there was definitely no relaxing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was always continually trying to find my center, even if it meant the first thing I did or in the midst of the day, I'd shut my door and I had a little sign that says meditating, you know, just 20 minutes. I got to have 20 minutes. I got to get centered or everything else is going to go to shit. But when you're dealing with 600, basically 700 souls, you know, that you're responsible for to keep safe, albeit everybody's responsible for their own safety. But you take, I took it on like, how should I say? There were four times when I was standing next to somebody who within the next week, tested positive and I would come home and I would tell Jennifer and I would go upstairs and I would spend a week upstairs and, and not be near her because I just, you know, in the not knowing you want to take every possible precaution. And I spoke to a lot of people and emailed people and saw exchanges on Facebook and in some uh, hashtag chef groups. And, you know, there was a lot of pain and angst and uncertainty and people questioning what the fuck. And there was a part of me that was really glad that it was happening Hmm. because as the entire world slowed down, nobody could run away from themselves. Well, that's an excellent point. And I say, you know, in my pandemic year, my pandemic in paradise, (laughs) it was the first time, you know, having been in this business since I'm 14 years old Mm -hmm. and coming up on 60 now, I, 60 years in the business? Good no, God, you look I good mean, for 90. <laughs> but I've been, I've been doing this since I was 14 in one way or another. Right. And I've never had any time off. And certainly this, I think, was the key, unique situation that some of us were in who didn't end up having to be frontline workers like yourself. Mm-hmm. Time off without an expectation. That you're supposed to be doing something. Right. There's no, there, there's nowhere for you to go. Right. Yeah. So that's how I, I think that really ties in. And that was the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And the fear that you're talking about and people getting sick, uh, we could have opened for delivery, but I was very 
afraid of the virus for myself and for my employees and their families. Yep. And we just chose not to. And I've watched other businesses, the pizza place and the hamburger place, fucking raking it in. <laughs> you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, I doing the right thing. But it was the right thing for us. It was. And I, I do say that with the utmost respect for the people that weren't able to do that, that did make money during that time, you know, people who lost someone close to them or employees. I mean, I wasn't touched by that, but it was just massively affecting to our business. Yeah. Um, so. so there may be some people who have gone through the pandemic, maybe they were socking away the government checks. Maybe they were being really smart and cobbling together a couple dollars. I've heard uh, about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, someone we both know uh, who shall rename nameless quit his job where he was almost two years, two, two years away from being completely vested in a director of culinary position for a hotel company. And I got this phone call. I said, uh, I quit my job. Sold my shares, opening up a restaurant. Like, what? Like, aren't you too old for that shit? And then, of course, three weeks later, the pandemic hit. And somehow he's, like, held it together because he's just so damn stubborn. And so <laughs> would, you, would you say, Dieter, that, you know, like, you weren't going to let anything get in the way of your failure, were you? Mm-mm. So if there were folks out there who have, you know, now I'm not, I'm not going to work for anybody else. I'm going to do my own thing, whatever that might be. If you could give them one piece of advice before they start on this journey, what would it be? I always start out with, be careful what you wish. <laughs> That's um, a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah. we've all stood on the line or behind a bar or in the dish pit thinking we wanted our own place, right? Yep. And thinking, look at those owners or that manager and all the money that they're making or that they don't have the stress or they're not sweating their balls off back wow. here, dunking their hands in ice buckets to work the saute. It is really fucking hard. And here is the biggest piece of advice. All of those things that you learned from and did for another restaurant, whether you were in the corporate structure or single owner, working for a single owner, whatever, all of that stuff you learned and did for other people, that goes out the window when you open your own place. You think, I took my first inventory three <laughs> weeks ago. Three fucking <laughs> weeks ago. Well, let's face it, you never had much in the shop anyway to inventory. <laughs> But I flow through. That's a big mistake that people make. I've seen it with some other friends of mine who've lived in their own places and they've been, you know, they have tons of experience. And yet you're in your own place and you're either too busy right. to do all that stuff or you think you're going to remember mm. and you don't need it. That's number one. Don't do that to yourself. 
treat it as if it was someone else's business, not your own. Mm. That's fascinating. You'll be a lot more careful with it if you do. Right. Number two is don't become your business. Because if you ever want to get out, you're not going to be able to because people believe the business is you. Right. Exactly. All the personality. Yeah. You know, don't become your business. We were there every day, every hour. You know, I mean. Joe's outside chatting to people. You're on the line making stuff. And you're like, where the hell is he? He's doing his thing. He's the social butterfly. Yeah. So when we wanted, and we were great partners in that, you know, uh-huh. I mean, just, he was amazing with the clients. And, and I will tell you this, when we opened the business, I just wanted a taco stand on the side of the road, like a retrofitted hot dog car. Right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and he, who is, you know, quite the cook and has taken a lot of culinary classes and you know, was lucky enough to work with Wolfgang Puck and, you know, an internship, but never did the day-to-day grind. Right. He said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to go big, blah, blah, blah. And we did, and it worked. But I said to him at the beginning, I got about this much customer service left in me. So please. (laughs) (laughs) I will deal with it. All the other shippers don't make me go out there and talk to people. Mm. (laughs) so yeah don't make the business all about you it is very much your baby but i think the mistake that we made and i've seen with a few other people is not being able to teach that baby to go to sleep right and it's it's a hard mistress i mean it's awful hard to cuddle up to at the end of the night i mean you got nothing man i spent i spent the weekend in ohio doing a discovery visit for a family-owned business. They have three outlets that was, you know, not only the grandfathers, but their fathers. Family grew up in it. And the mother, who is a workhorse and a, and a giver and a very, very caring woman, is constantly scanning the entire environment and yet wonders, like, what do we need to do in order to step out of the business? Because <laughs> they're getting tired. Right. They want to, they want to bequeath it to their kids. They want to sell it. They want to. So like, where are the systems? If someone walks in here, it's like, okay, so where are the receipts from last, last week? Like what? And so to spend that entire weekend kind of like steeped in that mom and pop and like the stone cold desire of this woman, I could see it in her face. Like she loves what she does, but you know, she's tired. I'm tired. And I will tell you, I, um, I'll just share this quickly with you. There's a Facebook group called Asshole Line Cook. <laughs> I'm surprised I'm not a part of that. Right. Well, and I follow it, right? And there was a post recently with a very, you know, with another topic that's really hot right now, like restaurants not being able to get employees because they don't pay enough and you know that's a huge that's a huge thing right now so you know this asshole line cook he was saying yeah well fuck all those owners if you can't afford to pay people shouldn't be in business and (laughs) just a really harsh post 
And I think if you were talking to some of the big corporations or just about that, yeah. you know, okay, there's some validity there. But I took it super personally and I fucking went off. And I didn't know it was a public page. I thought it was <laughs> it, it wouldn't have mattered. Well, the next day, because people <laughs> could see what I had written. So the next day, <laughs> some of our best customers, like, are you okay? Are you all right? Because I basically told people, and and I feel really badly about this, and this is why I'm sharing it with you. I basically told people, get out of this business if you're expecting something else. And I went on a tirade about how exhausted I was and, you know, fit life this business is and how how devastating it can be to families and this and that. And I was yeah. like, go get your fucking college education, do something else. So I wrote that, got it off my chest, you know, feeling pretty good. Forgot <laughs> to forgot to hit save to draft. <laughs> yeah. And a- the next day, after I realized that people had seen it and after I reread it, I was like, how could I? Where do I get off slamming the industry that has sustained me right. my entire life? Yep. What a piece of shit doing that. Because here I was telling people, I ride home in the car crying three nights a week. Now that's the truth, but I didn't want my clients to know that. Right. right. You know, so you do get tired in this business. And if you open up your own place, <clears throat> it's 10 times worse than your worst day doing inventory, sleeping on a cardboard box in the storage room. You know, I mean, back to back doubles for five days. It's worse, worse than. But let's just hit the flip on that. It's incredibly rewarding. Right. It's that same, which is dangerous, you know, of feeding people souls because Mm -hmm. you are feeding people souls. It's not just food. It never is. Now, it's here's, I think, a trick to success if I have any advice for anyone in this business. How about an observation? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always would say you have to be grateful to your clients for choosing to spend their dollars with you. But the other day I was listening to a meditation room and I heard this line, what you appreciate appreciates. And that encompasses that. I tell my staff, even when they're rolling a burrito, I see them slough something together. Or if I see that there's only pico de gallo and three quarters of that burrito. Mm-hmm. I say to them, you eat because these people eat. You have to understand that. So treat their food with the same reverence, even though it's just a burrito or a taco. You know, because if they don't come here, your family doesn't eat. So I love the, uh, you know, I, was, I had written down earlier when you were talking about sacrament. We provide people a very unique opportunity and there is absolutely scientific evidence at the quantum scale that, you know, somebody who's pissed off making food, someone takes that into their body 
Just go to McDonald's. I mean, technically yeah. calories, but nobody feels nourished Good. after yeah. that. You know, it's a different story when you have somebody who's maybe not painstakingly, but at least being present to what they're doing in the moment because they know like they're going to put that thing in their mouth that you just had in your hands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of, it reminds me of the movie Vanilla Sky. If anybody's ever seen that movie, there's a reference <laughs> with Cameron Diaz in the car right before she crashes it and, and crushes Tom Cruise's head. But anyway, <laughs> look it up. It's fantastic. You know, your husband said something very, very pertinent to me. He was watching me uh, from the server area as I was working the pass. And it was such a busy place that there were actually two of us working cold and hot, you know, expediting plates and building trays and boosting the fuck out. And I was pulling somebody through the line, through the window, <laughs> because I needed what I got. And it's fine. Need to yeah. And he's like, hey, come here for a second. He pulls me around the corner. And he says, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, I'm doing my job. I, you know, leading the team, uh, getting the food out of the window. He's like, listen, at the end of the day, it's just some brown stuff on a plate that someone's going to eat and they're going to forget about in six hours. We're not curing fucking cancer here. And I felt like, so I felt so shamed. And of course he was several years younger than I, but I was, he stood towered over me. And I remember feeling like being in front of my dad and I'm like, Okay. And then as I turned around, he grabbed me by the arm and he said, but don't fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> no hook. And he had that innate ability and I have it as well to remain calm and cool and collected mm -hmm. in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have that. And I'm really sorry about that. And a couple of times I slipped up, I slipped up a few weeks ago. I didn't like the way my staff had put away the fish. Mm -hmm. And even though Joe, my partner, offered to help me, I was screaming and yelling over on the other side myself. I lift up a hundred pound box of fish. <laughs> I wrench back. <laughs> fish juice is all over me. Nice. And I can't get up off the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah in there. And, I, and I said listen that's it why am I doing this and he was pissed off at me because I was hurt I was down and he was pissed and he had the right to be because why are you acting like a bitch why are you acting like it has to be done you know what else did Mark used to say it's only popcorn he used to tell me it's only popcorn <laughs> You know, listening to you, it struck me because uh, something else I once heard from Jennifer, which is like, it's like drinking poison and wishing someone else was going to die. Yeah. But ultimately what ends up happening is you drink so much of it or you eat your stress so much that it manifests a physical ailment and your mind is that fucking powerful that you can create that in your body to such a point where your liver's breaking down, your bones are breaking down, you know, I don't know how many, how many chefs and cooks out there have waist problems and hip problems and ankle problems and no amount of compression socks are going to bring that away. And yet to be able to shift your perspective in the midst of it, that is so hard, man. But that, that is work that is so worth it. Pause, breathe, and reflect. <laughs> and I hate it. Because I never 
thought that that would become me, but it was a necessity. If I didn't do that, I was going to die. I mean, I've been smoking and working and drinking like a maniac for since I was 20 years old. And, and what do you think? I had to do the work and learn to meditate and learn to calm down and learn to be a duck and let things slide a little bit. And you know what? My restaurant is not worse off for it. <gasps> better off. <laughs> uh, that's so good. That is so good, Dee. Hey, um, and how are you? Yeah, good. <laughs> Did I smile enough? I'm used to being in the fishbowl. Uh, you know, there's uh, only truth between us. You don't have to put on things for anything. No, in all of these, I mean, I think anyone like yourself, we're we're all used to being in a fishbowl and putting on the show and leaving our jacket at the door and thing. Um, but you the doing the hard work. Be, weren't weren't <laughs> you the first person who ever said to me, Lamb, just don't be full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's difficult when you're bright and charming, um, you know, because you could fool a lot of people. Not all the people. No. And, and I, not I'm, yourself. Well, thank thank goodness I had someone in my life like you who spoke the truth to me in, in a way that, you know, I couldn't get away from it. Couldn't squirm away. I couldn't charm it. I couldn't do anything about it except just sit there and go, Fuck. Yeah, I have that uncanny knack. It's something people don't really like about me. <laughs> That's Joe. <laughs> Poor Joe had a midlife crisis last year. And, uh, you know, that we were separated for a year and a half. Sorry to hear that. Uh, we're back together. Yay! Building and being gracious to each other. Which is a big part of it. But it also, and I never actually did the hard work before. So I wasn't too down with the whole coaching thing. Did it on a lark. It was just going to be six weeks. And I've been doing it now for a full year and it's turned my life around. Smarten up, motherfucker. Everybody yeah. needs a coach. <laughs> Not you, Deidre. I'm just talking to the listener. <laughs> everybody does. Everybody I mean, needs a coach. Everyone does. Everybody it, right? needs an outside perspective because we can fucking yeah. bullshit ourselves so easily. So I'll, yeah. I'll own that and say, yeah, I spent most of my life bullshitting myself. Yeah. And I am a bubble popper. That's what people have come with people. And, and you know that. Oh, this is a great. Or I'm going to do this or I'm doing that. And I'm like, pop, 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 pop. Yeah. I did Anything it to everyone else. Right. But I couldn't do it for myself. You need a coach or a shrink or a priest. You need somebody. Hey, and I'm sorry during the show, I wasn't even thinking about like not swear. No, you can fucking swear, man. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to say what a pleasure it's been. Deidre. Uh, love you. Dioko, I can't tell you how much I appreciate reconnecting with you. It feels like just yesterday, really feels like yesterday Chat. so thank you love you very much i love you too that's it for this episode of chef life radio 
If you enjoyed it, it made you think, laugh, or get pissed off, then please tell a friend. Get your free copy of Three Ideas for Less Chef Stress by signing up for our monthly newsletter at chefliferadio.com forward slash sign up. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island. We believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more community, and a lot less fuck you. Finally, consider for a second, for all the blood, sweat, and sometimes even tears we put into what we do, really, at the end of the day, that's just some brown stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it, even the crappy parts while we're doing it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? Like it, Hefe. I love it. I am humble. Goddamn glory box mode. I don't live on now. <laughs> Follow us at Facebook.com, Chef Life Radio, Twitter, at Chef Life Radio, on Instagram, at Chef Life Radio, and check out our website, ChefLifeRadio.com. Oh, yes, Chef. Stand tall and frosty, brothers and sisters. Until next time, be well and do good. Leave the light on, honey. I'm coming home late. This show was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Adam Lamb, at the Dish Pit Studios in Bardo, North Carolina. This has been a production of Realignment Media.